It's Thursday, May 2nd. Welcome to Skim This. We're breaking down the most complex stories of the day and giving you the context on why they matter. Today, we're diving into the latest drama happening in Venezuela and why people thought there was going to be a peaceful transition of power. Then, the U.S. wants Julian Assange to face charges here. But if you ask him, he'll take a pass. We'll give you the details. And finally, we close with a special skim feature to honor Holocaust Remembrance Day. We're here to make your Thursday smarter. Let's skim this. Today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. The most confusing story today is about Venezuela and the ongoing question of who is actually president. We talked about it on the show on Tuesday. There have been massive protests across Venezuela, led by the opposition leader, Juan Guaido, the guy who says he's the acting president of Venezuela. Two days ago, he said it was time for Operation Libertad, a.k.a. the final phase of getting President Nicolas Maduro out of office. That's the guy who's currently living in the presidential palace. The U.S. is one of the countries that have recognized Guaido as acting president. And this week, the Trump administration threw their weight behind him and this latest round of protests. They said it was time for the peaceful transition of power that was promised. And they didn't just say it once. They said it a bunch of times. We want, as our principal objective, the peaceful transfer of power. We want a peaceful transition of power. A peaceful transition of government there. To be clear, there were guns fired and Molotov cocktails thrown in the capital of Caracas during the protest this week. A woman died. And Maduro has made no signs that he's in the process of packing his boxes and calling the movers. That's what we're going to talk about today. Why is the Trump administration saying that there was going to be a peaceful transition of power in Venezuela? And what other options are on the table? Okay, a quick recap. Maduro rose to power in Venezuela in 2013 and was re-elected last year in an election that a lot of people said wasn't exactly fair. Because of that, after Maduro's inauguration in January, Guaido, who was the head of Venezuela's legislature, claimed that he should be the interim president. And he pointed to a clause in the constitution that gave him that power. And 50 countries had his back. But Maduro shrugged and made it clear. He wasn't stepping down without a fight. That's some of the drama that's been playing out publicly. But it turns out there's been a lot going on behind closed doors, too. That's what we learned this week. Apparently, for the last few weeks, Guaido and his team have been meeting with members of Maduro's administration and trying to convince them that they should switch sides. By Tuesday morning, it looked like Maduro's people might do that. And that's when Guaido released his video calling for protests. He was surrounded by armed soldiers and said it was time for Maduro to go. But he said people shouldn't be violent. The goal, a peaceful transition of power. The Trump administration was on board. They thought that Maduro had his version of Air Force One ready to take him to Cuba. But that didn't happen. Maduro stayed put. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo blamed Russia and Cuba for convincing him to stick it out. At a press conference Tuesday, U.S. National Security Advisor John Bolton called out some of the people they thought were switching sides, like the Venezuelan defense minister, the chief judge on the Supreme Court, and the commander of the presidential guard. But that still hasn't happened. Two days later, Maduro is still in the presidential palace. Today, he showed up at a military base in Caracas, 
with one of the guys the Trump administration had said was negotiating to get Maduro out. So now, the Trump administration is talking about Plan B. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo told Fox Business that if Maduro won't leave by himself, there are options on the table to make him leave. The president has been crystal clear and uh, uh, incredibly consistent. Uh, military action is possible. If that's what's required, that's what the United States will do. To be clear, military action would require congressional approval. U.S. diplomacy in Venezuela has bipartisan support on Capitol Hill, at least when it comes to humanitarian aid. But it's not clear whether Congress would be on board with sending forces. So what's the skin? Globally, everyone is paying attention to what's happening here. Venezuela used to be the richest country in South America. But right now, Venezuelans are starving. The country is facing a full-on humanitarian crisis with massive food shortages and hyperinflation. Maduro and his predecessor, Hugo Chavez, have been blamed for a lot of that, which is part of why 50 countries have come out in support of Guaido. This weekend, Maduro has called for two days of open critique in Venezuela and for people to make proposals, within limits. He's not asking who should be in charge, but how he can make things better. Maduro is trying to stay in Venezuela, and WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange is trying to stay in the UK. That story's next. When it's time to make a hire for your small business, you want to find the best person for the job. Odds are that person is on LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs makes it easy to get matched with quality candidates who make the most sense for your role. They check both hard and soft skills to match you with the people who are the best fit for the job. Post a job today at linkedin.com slash skim this and get $50 off that first job post. That's linkedin.com slash skim this. Terms and conditions apply. Can he do that? That's a question people are asking about Julian Assange today. Until last month, the founder of WikiLeaks had been camping out in Ecuador's embassy in London. They kicked him out and he was arrested for skipping bail and because he was wanted in the U.S. The U.S. is asking the U.K. to send him over to face charges of conspiring to hack a U.S. government computer. That process of getting Assange sent to the U.S. is called extradition. Today, Assange told a judge in London, meh, I'd rather not. In a hearing this morning at London's Westminster Magistrates Court, Assange straight up refused to be extradited to the U.S. So, can he do that? The answer is yes, he can turn down the extradition request. That's actually part of the process. See, the U.S. and the U.K. have what's called an extradition treaty. The U.S. has these kinds of treaties with over 100 countries. When a person suspected of a crime in the U.S. is in one of those countries, the U.S. can say, hey, please send that guy back. But it's not like the U.S. can just snap its fingers and get Assange. There's a process. Here's what normally happens. The U.S. sends the U.K. a formal extradition request. In Assange's case, that actually hasn't happened yet. That paperwork is expected by June. Once that happens, they'll schedule an extradition hearing. Then a judge in the U.K. looks at that request and says, would this be a crime here too? And will this person's human rights be violated if we send them back? If the answer is yes, it's a crime, and no, there wouldn't be human rights issues, then the request goes up to the UK Home Secretary for the final thumbs up. So the whole process can take months, or even years. 
One of the things Assange could be waiting for is to see if the U.S. adds to the indictment against him. Right now, he's accused of helping former Army intelligence analyst Chelsea Manning break into a government computer and steal information. The charges aren't related to his publishing of the secret diplomatic cables on WikiLeaks or sharing them with news outlets. It was a big embarrassment for the U.S., but Assange says he's a journalist and getting stories out is his job. If charges related to that are added, and if the U.K. thinks those new charges are politically motivated by the administration, they could turn down the extradition request. While all this plays out, Assange will be waiting behind bars. Remember, we said that when he started hunkering down in Ecuador's embassy in 2012, he jumped bail in the UK because Sweden has its own extradition request for him on possible charges of sexual misconduct. So last month, when the UK arrested him on the US's behalf, they were like, we've got to check this off the list too. So yesterday he was sentenced to 50 weeks in prison. Either way, Assange is in this for the long haul and he's going to keep spending a lot of time indoors. Finally, today is Yamashoa, Holocaust Remembrance Day. During the Holocaust, millions of Jews and others were systematically killed by the Nazi regime. Millions more were held and forced to work in more than a thousand concentration camps across Europe. One of those survivors was Edward Gastfreund. He goes by Eddie. He was just a kid living in Poland when the Germans invaded his country. When the German forces came in, they immediately was an evil force that shattered our quiet and peaceful life. The Nazi police, the Gestapo, rounded up Eddie's family and sent them to Auschwitz, the most infamous of all concentration camps. Gastrand was blonde and blue-eyed. He didn't look like a Jew. So he was able to live on the streets as part of the underground movement. Eventually, he was sent to Auschwitz, too. I was tattooed 177-283. They tattooed us to deprive us of our identity, of our names, and as human beings. So it would be easier to murder us since we were just numbers and not people. After Auschwitz, Eddie ended up being sent to five other concentration camps. As the Allies got closer, they were forced to move from camp to camp on death marches. Along the way, Gasfren and another boy tried to escape. And at night time, we decided we should escape, but in separate directions, we should run, not together. And unfortunately, he was killed. He was shot and killed. I survived somehow, hiding each Every time I was running, it was a forest, 10 feet, 8 feet, and, and, and covered myself with a tree, in back of the tree, and survived. Unfortunately, when I came back home, nobody from my family survived. Anti-Semitic attacks in the U.S. and other Western countries are on the rise. Last October, a gunman killed 11 people and wounded six others at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh. Last week, another gunman opened fire at a synagogue in San Diego, killing one woman and wounding three others. Eddie says these attacks have prompted him to share his story, even though retelling it is hard. By teaching young people to learn the story about the Holocaust, and we can prevent other 
smaller holocaust from happening, what has been happening in black churches and synagogues, and recently what happened again. And it's a very, very important education. It always starts with the Jews, but it ends, unfortunately, with many others. We have a longer version of Eddie Gasfriend's story on the Skim's YouTube channel and in the Skim app. And he has a memoir. It's called My Father's Testament. We have a link to it in our show notes. And that's all for Skim This. Thanks for listening and make sure you subscribe and leave a review. For more Skim, you can check out our premium content by downloading our app or get our free morning newsletter by subscribing at theskim.com. It's everything you need to know to start your day right in your inbox. 